everybody. Welcome back into your latest episode of Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today's always your host, Evan Saturday. I'm joined by co host, Brennan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at East Saturday. You can follow Brennan on Twitter at Brennan Clean 14. You also follow our Locked On Suns page. We haven't already at Locked On PHX Suns. Your support over there is very much appreciated, as always. We have a very fun episode for you guys today. We're joined by one of our good friends of the podcast and also one you guys should know about. You should read his work almost every day over on fan side. Gerald Borgay, how do you know, Gerald? Doing good, Evan. How about you? Doing great. Thanks again for coming on. Appreciate the time as always, Gerald. And we were just talking off the air before we started here. We we're going to talk, just starting off the show here, about the rotation, what Monty Williams has done to it so far. We're going to talk about Dario Sarge and just some possible trade options for Dario later on in the show. But let's talk about that rotation, Gerald, because we were talking about off the air for a little bit. It seems like the DeAndre and Aaron Baines experiment is not working now. Yeah. Um, I mean, you kind of see what Monty was trying to do as far as the last few games, last few weeks, this team has found itself down by 20 quite a few times. And then, you know, they do that thing that we've seen the Suns do in the past where they show a lot of heart and they fight back and they still lose. But you look at the game and it's like, well, if they had not gotten down by 20, maybe this wouldn't have been an issue. So he was trying to shake the thing, shake the lineup up, um, shake them out of their apathy a little bit with this dual center lineup. And like you said, it's not really working. Um, it worked against the Knicks because they had that big front line, a more traditional front court. But in the other four or five games where they've tested it out, it hasn't really worked. Um, and it, that one Knicks game has kind of skewed the numbers. So I, I'm a little confused as to why, you know, Aiton's finally back from both the suspension and the ankle sprain why he wouldn't give him and Dario more time to kind of figure things out. But it's really not good that they're switching up the lineup so much, you know, nearing the halfway mark of the season. Yeah, that's been my thing too. Just the more we hear from Monty, the more we hear from the players that are, you know, dealing with it in real time, the more we just see evidence stack up on the floor two games now uh, instead of just one. And even before that, as we saw the lineup, in little spurts, it didn't quite make sense. And then now that it's starting, it's, it's just making less sense. But, but especially your point, Gerald, of the idea of doing this right now here when these games are really important. I mean, this is the stretch of the season we've been talking about all along is the one that the Suns were going to, well, initially we thought uh, build a, a little cushion for themselves and now have to, having to make up ground to get back into the playoff race. But to not only just change the starting lineup so drastically, but thrust something on a team that's never played this way before at a point when you need to be winning games just feels uh, like bad timing. And some of that was forced onto them, I guess, by, by Aiton's whole situation between the suspension and the injury. This, this is kind of his real return here. But even then, they waited a few games before they went to it. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I just think you can't afford to have games where you're trying something so drastic but I was going back and actually transcribing stuff from practice on Saturday which is was interesting because it was before the Grizzlies game but I asked Monty if if part of the thinking here was to simplify things for Aiton because that's always why it's made sense to me potentially just defensively to, to just say okay here's the specific set of things you need to do you know rotate from the weak side attack the glass like the responsibilities are so much smaller for a guy at that spot than at the five. And he said, this is what he said. He said, it's just to improve our team. That's the deal. It's not simple to win. Winning is hard in this league. Everything we do is an effort to win games and put guys in a position to be successful. 
Ayton's background is at Arizona where he was a power forward. Some of these guys like LaMarcus and Anthony Davis, you play them at the five in the league, but if you ask them where they want to play, they'd all say, I want to be a four. If you wanted to put them in a position where they were the most comfortable, I think a lot of those guys would, would much rather play the four. Uh, it just feels like doing too much to make this guy comfortable to me. Evan, what is your kind of response to that quote? I totally agree with you on that point, Brandon. It's like it's making him too comfortable in a situation right now where we were just at a point 12 months ago, everybody, where Igor Kokoshkov was saying that DeAndre Ayton is never going to play power forward for this team. He's meant to be a center. He's developing into a center. So it's almost a year of wasted development there if you're going to use him as a center. And now all of a sudden, you're going to embrace him in his U of A role where he was with a slow plotting big man, Dusan Ristich. Actually, Aaron Baines, a a really suit the version of Dusan Ristich, and he really couldn't do much of what Baines can, of course. But I really just feel like Bain is supposed to be a transitional franchise center. That's what he was drafted to be. He's seven foot one, two fifty. He's not a player like Lamarcus Aldridge who should be just floating around the mid range and not doing much outside of that. I know he's a in developing on the defensive end. He's an improving rebounder. That's one of his better traits is rebounding, but. He's a center. Jared, what do you think about that? Because I really feel like it's such a stark change from a year ago where you're talking about DeAndre and, and really at, at that point when you're talking about Luca versus DeAndre and all that point where it was really fun on Sun Twitter during that point in time. But I really feel like Aiton is a center and playing him out at, at the four spot really is kind of just going against your word at this point last year. Right. And it's I'm up to my wit's end as far as, you know, placating to DeAndre Aiden wanting to play the four. No offense, but this is the guy that was talking to and feeding his own bobblehead popcorn after a game the other night. This is the guy that compared himself and Devin Booker to Shaq and Kobe 2.0. He has never been good at evaluating himself as a player or his own game. And that's, you know, I'm not going to talk about the man's maturity or anything like that because we've all got our personalities that should be separate from basketball, honestly. But as far as evaluating himself as a player and wanting to play the four, the Suns are doing themselves a disservice by, you know, bending to his will on that. Like, it doesn't make sense to play him at the four alongside Aaron Baines for the short term because this is a winnable stretch of games and running out this dual center lineup. The dual center lineup itself has not been that bad, but the problem is it throws the rest of the rotation out of sync. And when you look at the Grizzlies game, they put Mikel Bridges in at the four and immediately the team goes on a game changing run that actually made it close down the stretch after they were down by like 20. You've got to play your players in the positions where they're supposed to be successful, even if they don't, they would nest, they would rather play a different spot. Like DeAndre Ayton was drafted to be a franchise center. It may not be in his mindset or his mentality as a young guy to, you know, bang bodies in the paint. And to be that rim protector and that just force on the inside. We've seen him do it at times. He needs to do it consistently. Otherwise, there was no point in them drafting him number one overall. And there was also no point in them trading for Dario Saric a stretch floor in the draft when they had Brandon Clark, who would have been perfect if they wanted to play Aiden at the four. Like the irony should not have been lost on anyone that Brandon Clark is going out there and thriving in the same game where the Suns are playing DeAndre Ayton at the four alongside Aaron Baines. Like that was just mind numbingly stupid to me. And it will continue to be as long as they allow him to play that spot. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, your point about it, it being a little bit of a waste of a pick to 
to draft a player and then basically ask them to do less, you know? And, and to me, that's, it's not only a waste of that pick, but it's, it's a waste of, of the player. I mean, it's just, if Aiton's a, if Aiton, let's say he, let's say everything goes according to plan in this lineup, according to plan, based on what Monty Williams has said, is that just the size helps as far as defense, you know, to have a bigger guy out there, an athletic four in Aiton, you know, technically calling him the four here. And, and they're, you know, going to attack the boards, which I, I guess that that's one thing they have done in the past two games together. And they're, they're always going to, cause they're huge players. And, you know, that's, that, that's what a lot of the teams, you know, used to think when these guys were starting games and playing 48 minutes together all the time in the nineties and two thousands and all that before teams kind of realized that the versatility and the, and the spacing and the, um, the length and all that was more important. If, if everything goes according to plan there, you're just having a, a less valuable version of the player you drafted at that spot. And that's what, that's what at the end of the day, it doesn't, what's the, what's the, the best case scenario here? If it, if it works and, and right now it's not working, so it looks particularly bad, but even if, if everything clicks here, you're still looking at a severely limited and worse version, less valuable version of Deandre Ayton because he isn't, maximized playing that way what's max what, what you do to maximize him is make him get better at the things he's not good at about playing center and and become a good center not let him play a position that he's less valuable doing and and the, the crazy thing to me again to kind of use that memphis game gerald as a an encapsulation of the the silly logic here is this version they of a big four right now is jaron jackson or a player like that who's able to shoot the crap out of the ball switch on defense, you know, his rebounding isn't a strength for him. So obviously the Jaron's not a perfect player, but that's the guy that's, you know, the Pascal Siakam, Draymond Green. Those are the fours that you can get away with having a six ten, six eleven bruising type of player in there. Aiton's and Aiton is none of those things. Cause he can't shoot or doesn't. Uh, and, and really isn't much of a creator off the bounce. Can't defend smaller players. None of those things uh, really are bringing the best out of him. So it really just any angle you look at it from, it's hard to see what the end goal is here. Right. Yeah. And I, I just don't, like you said, when you look at guys that are fours in this league now, they shoot threes. DeAndre Ayton has taken five in his career. He's missed every single one of them. And as much as he keeps talking about wanting to shoot threes, Monty even said the other night, you know, I haven't told him not to shoot threes. I just let guys take the shots that they're taking. And that's why we saw, you know, Devin Booker, who is the only player on this roster that should be taking these shots because he's really good at them, but just, you know, surgically picking apart the defense in the mid range. And we saw the rest of the team following in his lead and, you know, all the mid range versus three point stuff. Yeah. I'm, (laughs) I'm just kind of at a loss for Monty not instilling more, of a three point heavy scheme here because he has, he has the stretch fours to do it between Sharich and bridges and even cam Johnson, if they want to go really small. Um, and he has, now he has the rim running diving big man that will actually soak in the defense with his gravity. He has the pieces now to have a well-spaced team. So it's kind of, I know, I know that Bain shoots threes, but 
it takes him a lot longer to load that shot up and defenses aren't going to respect that as much. It's, it's just hard to operate on one end when Aiton is playing the five on offense and playing the four on defense. It's hard to do that. And we saw them get picked apart on the defensive end last or on Sunday. Like it's just, there's a lot of things that are going on that are hard to balance and for both long-term and short-term, they're not doing Aiton any favors by not trying to get the match. It's bad enough that, you know, they passed on Luka Doncic and went with Aiton instead. But if you're going to, if you're not going to be able to maximize his value, then it really was one of the biggest draft wisps in history. Let me you got anything you. else, Evan? Yeah. I was going to just close it out with this point. Cause I feel like this is one that we all agree on here. I just wonder when Miley Williams will pull a trigger on it. And I can ask you both here, Gerald and Brennan, just when do you think minds could come to realization that when you see DeAndre and have these good spurts with these five man laps, it's usually with him at the five, McKilbers at the four or Cam Johnson, at the four points. You have these heavy wing laps, these switchable laps where Aiden can use his switchability in a good way as a center, really as an, as a rim protector, he can be very versatile. Do you think we see Monty pull the trigger and take off this Baines Aiden look here soon? For a guy like Mikhail Burgess, who's been really doing well the last couple of weeks, or do you think that maybe Monty's going to be stubborn here for a little bit with this lineup? Yeah, just to jump in there, because he did speak to it a, a bit at practice, obviously not going to give away anything definitive as he just has, he's not really the type of guy to do that. Uh, he values the communication with his players and all that. But he did, you know, give a little bit here, mostly related to Dario Sharch, who we're going to talk about in the next segment, but said basically uh, just the idea of, of switching around the starting lineup kind of ad hoc here is not not something he's about and so you know he doesn't kind of set it as in he doesn't see Dario re-entering the starting lineup but you can obviously assume that that means that the one that's in place right now will will stick around for a bit longer so uh, I don't know how long and and obviously the more evidence that that it's not working the, the the sillier he would be to not switch things up but I think I think we'll at least see it for the next game if not longer Right, and, and I saw that as well, and, and I noticed that um, he, had, he had been talking about Sharich playing more and being in the rotation more, which is a good sign that that at least opens the door to a more conventional starting lineup in the future. Like, like Brendan said, I don't know how soon that'll be, and I do worry that we're going to see Baines and Aiden in the starting lineup again because you know after that Grizzlies game, he basically put the play, the the blame on not following the game plan, which, you know, on, on the one hand, I, I see where he's coming from because the dual center thing is not the only reason the Suns lost to the Grizzlies on Sunday. But I mean, it was a, it felt like a pretty big part of it. So it's kind of alarming that that's the angle that he took and that he didn't answer questions after the game. Um, it, it's just unfortunate that we're doing this now and that, you know, you, you hear Devin Booker talk and and he's talking about how, you know, he's been here for four years and he wants the end of the season to be fun. And he's never experienced that before. You can already feel like we're on the precipice again, even though like even though they're at 14 wins, they're five off of last year's win total already. And it's only the beginning of January. So there is improvement. But I think the fast start to this season and, you know, just wanting this to be a playoff team, it really changed expectations. And this is the point where the Suns need to stay committed to their long-term vision rather than, you know, make that panic trade that we've seen them make so many times. 
All right, some quick thoughts on Dario Saric's place in all of this and obviously a guy who might be in some of those trades that they make, whether those are to acquire talent or to sell it off. We will see. But before that, a quick word about our sponsor, which is the Arizona Cactus League. This spring, follow your favorite baseball teams to Arizona for Cactus League spring training. We have amazing weather and landscapes, exciting outdoor adventures, incredible food. Arizona really is the perfect home for baseball fans. You have 10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, all within the greater Phoenix area, within 50 miles or so of each other. None out, of the, no, none out there in Tucson anymore, none obviously up north. So uh, you can see a ton of games all at once. You have amazing restaurants and bars nearby, including Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet, Ale House, Goldwater Brewing Company, live music. You have museums from native heritage to modern art to musical instruments from around the world. You guys all know, anyone who listens to this show knows Arizona is known for its incredible landscapes and thrilling outdoor adventures. And really, there's no better time of year to check all that stuff out than when spring training happens. Not really a coincidence there, but it's perfect. February, March, come out to Arizona and see everything uh, on your bucket list. Grand Canyon, Monument Valley, Horseshoe Bend, Tucson, Flagstaff, Payson. Uh, There's a whole bunch to see here if you've never been or if you're visiting uh, again. Uh, And if you're bringing the kids along, Arizona is a fantastic destination for families as well. Resorts, hotels offer plenty of kids, plenty of fun for kids of all ages. You have water water parks, horseback rides, games, activities, museums, as I said, wildlife parks. Uh, There is plenty to do here. If you have not gotten the memo on that yet, I think it's pretty obvious. Perfect weather, plenty to do, restaurants, bars, and a whole ton of baseball. Plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. Again, that's visitarizona.com slash spring training. Okay, some quick thoughts here on Dario Saric. I just wanted to read, Kellen Olson wrote it up on Arizona Sports. I was at practice as well. Um, And to your point, um, I I think it was Gerald, you kind of mentioned that there have been some discrepancies as far as what Monty has said at various times about just who's playing and when and with this lineup change. And I think the Dario thing is... Uh, one of the better examples of that. So on Saturday at practice, like I said, I was writing up some of that stuff again. And he said, teams typically come in with a flexible four, and that's where Mikhail has helped us. Well, when teams go big, I think Dario can be in the rotation consistently, but that's not commonplace anymore. When teams come off the bench, they usually come with a guy that's a range four, a 6'8", 215, 230-pound type of guy. So it can be hard to get him back in the rotation. And then I guess the Grizzlies game was an eye-opener a game where most of Dario's minutes came at the five of all things, which uh, again, maybe not maximizing what he does, does well here. Um, But then today at practice says he's going to be in the rotation, whether or not I change the starting lineup and I got to figure out a way to get him in the game because he's a good player. He hasn't played as well as he's capable of, but we're certainly not giving up on Dario. So I think it's challenging him. I mean, I don't know how, how deeply we want to say he's, going against himself because there was a game in between and maybe there were some things he saw there that made him regret the decision. But uh, Evan, what do you kind of, as we get more and more into this Dario barely playing thing, and you've, you've made note correctly over the past few podcasts that his, min- his minutes and playing time were dwindling before any of this happened here with the Aiton Bain starting lineup, but just the more time that passes, what is kind of your read on it? Yeah, I brought this up on last night's episode, and I just still can't shake it just because I feel like just going from playing 34 straight games starting to all of a sudden playing about 10 minutes per game and going out of like four or five minutes per game, I really just feel like Dario Sarge is being shot at this point. I don't know what else it could be. Just maybe it's outside of like in a practice situation, not practicing well. I just don't see that with a guy like Dario Sarge. So I just feel like 
it's something outside of the quarry now. I really feel like he's being shot. That just that's not me reporting anything. That's just me hedging a little bit because I feel like it's so odd for me to see a player that's playing like thirty minutes per game and to go down to playing less than ten on consecutive nights in a row. I just I, I don't know what else it could be at this point because I mean you, we've been talking about all summer at this point before Dario ever played a game that that Tyler Johnson Dario Sarge combination in a trade can net you back a Kevin Love a Daniel Gallinari one of those guys we're gonna obviously talk about that on later in the show but I feel like that's the easiest read on at this point is that Dario is not a long term piece they realize that and they're gonna try to get the much as most value as they can for him right and I, I think that's. That's definitely preferable to just gross incompetence. My other only alternative is that he, because Monty has praised Dario's ability to guard bigger guys. He's praised, um, you know, the way that he's played as a small ball four, um, you know, just being able to hold his own in the post against guys like that. (laughs) Does he see him as only a small ball five now? Like, is that, the reason he's not playing is because they have Aiton and Baines, you know, holding down all of those minutes at center and there's no room for Dario. I mean, that's, that's the only other option that I could think of outside of, you know, what Evan was talking about as far as he's being shopped. They want to keep him healthy. They don't want to risk injuring him when they're trying to trade him. Is it, could it be that simple? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's a valid, I mean, if, you know, I know that Dario's played pretty well, but I, th- I think when you, and I don't think he should be playing fewer than 10 minutes a game just by way of how much it compromises your depth and, and leads to some of the ripple effect problems in terms of lineups that we've already seen play out here. I mean, all of that I, I'm totally on board with. I, do, I don't think it's crazy for Monty to see the problems that have, that have hurt the Suns team and, and at, at least partially think that Dario being in there has something to do with it. But I think what's, you know, maybe a bigger problem is that you take him out and, and other problems just crop up. And it, it's the inevitable thing here is this roster wasn't a seven and four roster. And so I think that's some of the, just the, the necessary expectation adjustment that has to happen where I think some of the issues here defensively, especially are guys not rotating aggressively and, and comfortably and confidently and intelligently and you know, being there to help their teammates, being there to just get in the way of, of offensive players. The, the ability for opponents to penetrate the paint here has been pretty abysmal, and Dario's not a guy who's really going to do much about that. He's not going to soar up for a block or three every game, and he's, he's not really the guy to cover a lot of ground to make up for problems elsewhere. So I get that he's not the solution, but then you, you just see the the problems that crop up with him not in there. And I don't think that's much better. So the reality is he's just one of the better players on this team. And the fact that Monty has said James Jones was part of the decision here. I mean, again, you know, we don't know anything and there's no reason to believe that this guy is going to be traded and imminently here, but you know, that, that does play a part that it was a kind of an organizational decision, like a, a bigger picture thing to go to this lineup, this starting lineup and, and Dario being the odd man out, happening, happening also to be a free agent. I mean, that, it's not a coincidence. If they thought of him as a core part of the team, they'd be figuring out ways to get things right rather than moving away from him. But um, I guess just, Evan, do you, where do you see him fitting in the, into the rotation? What ways would you be trying to get him on the floor? And uh, how do you think he can help based on what we've seen in these past two? Yeah, trying to figure out a spot for Dario at this point, especially with how the rotation's shaken out, is really tough. I'd probably say... 
him as a small ball five, like Jerry was talking about. Maybe that's how they view him now. If that's the case, then that's just a really bad outlook on judgment because you traded back five spots to get Cam Johnson. You relinquished the top six pick and you waited till you got on court results really the first two months of the season to see if Aiden and Sarge are working. They still barely play together. It's probably less than 50 minutes they play together so far this year. So not really a big sample size to go off of there. But I think probably realistically, probably small ball five lamps with shooting around him like Cam Johnson. Kelly Oubre, Mikhail Burgess, Devin Booker playing a lot of wings alongside Dario. So there could be some flexibility, some switchability. Because as you as you mentioned correctly, Brent, he's not an athlete. Like he's not one of those fours that goes out there and skies up for a dunk. Dario is not even close to that. He's almost like Frank Kaminsky in the sense of how athletic he is. And maybe that's really how they feel about him is that he's not athletic enough to guard the fours in the NBA. He's got to be a five defensively. And as far as spacing the four, he's so hot and cold doing that that there's some nice power. Monty Williams doesn't trust Dario's charge. And I believe that maybe that plays a little bit of a role in just how hot and cold he, but he is 32.9% from three this year. That's not good enough for a stretch four. Uh, I just feel like at this point until I, I really feel like he is going to get traded sometime within the next month or so, just with the way it's gone, he's probably gonna get like a 15 minute per game role, but I just don't see at this point, unless there's more severe change to the rotation happening soon that he probably won't get any more than that. Yeah. What's, what's uh, the most concerning to me is, you look at the the matchups over the course of the stretch where Dario's playing time has dwindled, and there's not a a, a consistent opponent like a, a type of opposing four that Monty has like maybe avoided putting Dario up against. You know, Portland, Mikhail plays that fourth quarter. Mikhail guards Carmelo Anthony. Uh, next game, that's the Lakers, which you know nobody can guard Anthony Davis, but you would at least think maybe that's a player with his size and, and physicality that you would trust Dario against and again plays about 20 minutes or so if I'm remembering correctly the Knicks are a big team you know what's silly to me is if size is the if size is the thing you want I don't really think that it makes sense to to get go away from Dario I understand Aiton's bigger but you're kind of comparing two bigs to one another and giving the guy with two inches and a 25 pounds the upper hand it's kind of silly to me you know the Knicks are a big team Dario probably would have been fine against that team and and then Memphis, you know, okay, Jaron Jackson, maybe not so much, but there's no, there's no constant there, Gerald, as far as matchups or, or playing that type of thing. It really feels like this decision was kind of made in a vacuum and that makes it more confusing. Right. And, and it's, especially with the timing of it, like we talked about, Aiton's missed 25 games from the suspension. Then he sprains his ankle his first game back. And then he's finally back on the court. Everybody's healthy. And now you make this random switch without even like seeing how Sharich and Aiton play together for an extended stretch. Like people are coming at me with this dual center lineup and saying, Oh, well you gotta, you know, you gotta give them time to mesh. What about Sharich and Aiton, the guy that they traded back for in the draft to get, uh, you know, Evan mentioned that the, that he's not shooting the ball well and that's fine. He's not, but at the same time, like I, I just don't see the rationale behind pulling the plug so quickly and making this drastic change unless it was in a vacuum, like Brendan said, or like two trade charts because they've already determined that he's not a part of the future. You know, missing missing Sharich is not something that's going to hurt this team, but he is one of the better players. And by not playing him, they're putting a bunch of other guys in different positions where they're not going to succeed. Um, so honestly, if I was Monty, I would put him back in the starting lineup and give them more time together. And if that didn't work, then guess what? Mikael Bridges is really good at the four. So try that at least. But 
the whole Aiton Baines thing that's got to stop soon. <laughs> yeah, there's going to probably be even more rotation changes here coming soon for the Suns. And depending on how this homestand goes, if this is a closing stretch for the Suns where more disappointment ensues, then maybe we're getting closer and closer to some more bigger moves happening for the Suns on the edges here. But before we go on to our final segment, we're talking more about Dario Saric and the possible deals he could be involved in if he is indeed being shopped right now. I want to tell you guys if you haven't already subscribed to Locked On Suns, the only daily Phoenix Suns podcast out there. Brent and I give you five times per week, and we give you guys A-plus analysis on all things that Phoenix Suns, from off the court, on the court, analysis, post-game recaps. You're really not missing out on anything. If you want to listen to the Phoenix Suns get more involved, listen to Locked On Suns, whatever platform you're listening to, whether that's Google Play, iTunes, Spotify. We're on every single uh, stream platform as well. So don't miss out on Locked On Suns this season. We're with you guys three times a week in the offseason as well. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to to Locked On Suns. All right, Jer, I'll start with you here first, and Brent, I'll go with you. I, I've, I can't believe three different deals here. You guys are more than happy to throw in other aspects to some deals if you want to. But here's the first one. We were talking about this, Brent and I were about a week or so ago, Gerald. So what's your thoughts on including Dario Sharch and Tyler Johnson? We would really be involved in almost every deal in this scenario because those two really make up almost all the, the salary needed there. For packaging, let's say Dario, Tyler Johnson, plus Elio Kobo in deals for a Gallinari or a Kevin Love. Um, for Gallinari, I would get it and it'd be risky for me. I feel like if you're making a trade for Gallinari, you are very much all in on making the playoffs this year. You know, obviously you have the flexibility if he does get hurt because he's got that injury history. If he gets hurt, you know, you don't have to commit to him beyond the season because he is a free agent. But if it does work out really well and you either make the playoffs or get close to the playoffs, but don't quite make it then you have to deal with the bidding war that's going to come over the summer for his services. I'm not quite sure the Suns have the upper hand in that scenario or even the means or the interest to re-sign him. So, I mean, obviously if they're giving up those pieces, none of those are like intrinsic pieces. Um, I, I would like Gallo's fit though. He's had a really good season the last two seasons actually um, he would be that stretch four that the Suns badly need and that they were hoping Dario Saric would be. Um, Kevin Love, I am not as interested in, and it's just because of that you know, absurd amount of money and remaining years on his contract, plus the injury history. Um, you, know, you want to talk about Gallo's injury history. Kevin Love's been more banged up over the last few years than Gallo has, so that's definitely a risk. Um, when you look at all that remaining money on his salary. Yeah, I I mean, you know how I feel about both of those guys, Evan, but um, I, I still think I still think Gallinari makes the most sense. I mean, I think just no no team in their right mind would be excited about paying Kevin Love for the next several seasons. So uh, it's all going to be about value in a, in a love trade. But I think Gallinari is good enough straight up that you're going to have interest no matter what. So uh, you know, they're going to have, like Gerald said, they're going to have to overpay him if they want to keep him past this year. It's just the reality. They, they are not coming at it from a position of strength, having no relationship with the guy if they were to acquire him in February and uh, not being good enough to woo him based on their merits. So, I mean, that's, it's been the reality for the Suns for several years and it would be with him, but you know, you just have to kind of decide if that's worth it. But 
Were there any trade? Was that the only trades you you came up with, or were there any with Dario by himself? Because that that's what I've been trying to str- or kind of struggling with. Yeah, these actually were two random ones I came up with. They both include okay. a Tyler in them, though, just because okay. there's just some salary filler in here. But two more involved the Spurs and the Chicago Bulls, just from a a two for two scenario, which is Johnson and Sarge. We'll start with the San Antonio one for Patty Mills and Trey Lyles here, just to get a, a younger version of a power forward. Maybe he could hit here. Trey Lyles, we kind of know who he is at this point, but. Patty Mills, I think, would be a big upgrade of what they have to back up point guard spot at the moment. Jared, what do you think about that kind of deal, like re-switch out Johnson and Sharich for Patty Mills and Trey Lyles? Yeah, I mean, I really like that deal for the Suns. Um, Trey Lyles isn't anything spectacular, but at this point, if Sharich is being phased out of the rotation, might as well try something with new blood and see if it works with a younger player. Um, and Patty Mills, obviously you know, we talk about this team's needs and its defensive problems, but that backup point guard spot despite having like three different options to choose from is no more settled than it was heading into camp. Um, Monty said it best. Like there hasn't been somebody that stepped up and just taken that job and hasn't looked back. Um, You know, Javon Carter looked great early in the season and then Ty Jerome, we thought he was going to be the answer once he got healthy. Um, And Tyler Johnson was just kind of phased out really quickly. So having a guy like Patty Mills would really be great on that front. Um, the thing that I struggle with on that one is I'm not sure what the incentive would be for the Spurs in that kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I I was just going to say, it kind of feels like the Suns would have to maybe throw in second round pick, if not more to sweeten that deal. I mean, the the Spurs would be getting some salary relief because, uh, Lyles has an on guarantee next year and and Mills is 13.2 million next year. So they would be getting two expirings back for both of those guys. And maybe that that does a little bit, but I think they'd have to probably do a little more there to to make it worth San Antonio. Although, if you're looking just purely on relationships, uh, Monty knows Patty well from his time in San Antonio, I'm sure, and uh, book played with Trey Lyles in college. So, um, <laughs> if you're if you're if you're the type of person who thinks that stuff gets trades done, then I'm sure that one sounds very likely to you. But you said Chicago is the other team, Evan? Yeah, this is my last one here, unless you wanted to throw in another quick one, maybe for a one-for-one one with Dari, like you were mentioning there. It was actually yeah. tough to think about that one because he has such a little salary. A He's, I think it's only $3.2 million or something like that. But for Chicago, this is a player who's actually been kind of frustrated. Maybe he wants out himself. He'd help out with defense a lot. Veteran leader, but he's on a longer-term deal. Thaddeus Young plus Chris Dunn. So you get a, a disgruntled veteran plus a younger bag of point guard option is more, it really fills your defensive requirements at that point for both those guys to improve that for Dario and Tyler Johnson. Trading for Thaddeus Young would be hilarious when you have the chance to sign him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that would be so sons, wouldn't it? Yeah. I would, I, what was funny is you look across the league for, for just who would want Dario specifically and the, the restricted free agency rights that come with him. And Two teams that my eyes kind of like stuck on for a minute were Philly and uh, Minnesota, but obviously um, not going to happen for either one of those. But it is just funny. It's like who who would want this guy is kind of part of the question. It's like if the Suns can't find a space for him when he seemed like a a guy who answered a lot of their questions, it's hard to imagine who who does want him. But I actually did think Chicago could have made some sense just because he's young and, and they don't really have a, an identity yet. Yeah, what did you think about that one, Jerry? Do you think that makes any sense to go after maybe a Thaddeus Young when you easily could just sign him for NCR? already? <laughs> I mean, it would be vintage sons to do something like that. But um, at this point, I think that would be a pretty great trade for the Suns. Um, you know, you want to talk about how bad they've been defensively, which is the biggest issue for this team over the last few weeks. 
Um, Young would help in that regard. And Chris Dunn would really help in that regard. Um, I think Zach Lowe wrote about it uh, last Friday, but Dunn is averaging three steals per 36 minutes, which in NBA history, there are only 24 guys who have ever done that. Um, So as much as that backup point guard spot is in flux right now, I think he would really help on that front um, if he could, you know, prove that he deserved the job, which is something that no one on the roster has been able to do yet. What about Portland? I mean, just for Dario straight up, I don't know. That's the thing is like, what is equal value for him? I really have no idea. I like they probably offer like some like Scalabissier or something. So they have like similar yeah. salaries, I guess. I mean like Gary Trent in a second. That's not <laughs> right. uh, like no one's excited. <laughs> Both teams lose. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, I guess that's a trade, but I think the, I mean, I think Portland would be pretty happy to have Daria, at least just as a depth piece and whatever, with how much they've struggled and depending on just to have the flexibility to re-sign him if they want to this summer, that's, that's pretty valuable to me, but uh, you know, not enough to give up anything major. They're not trading Simons or Collins or any of their real assets for that. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're right, Evan. It seems like it'll come down to including him as a sweetener in a bigger deal if they want to go that route. Otherwise, you know, maybe they, they both just bite the bullet and, and deal with the, the silliness of this rotation and not really playing much the rest of the year. I don't know. I mean, it, there's nothing obvious. He's, They've they've kind of simultaneously and Monty's been really cognizant of this and kudos to him for speaking to it publicly so often. But you know they're tanking his value in free agency by doing this as well. Yeah, it, I think it's certainly going to be interesting what happens with Dario because I think we've seen at this point the Suns want to be aggressive here. They kind of have one last chance to get that Tyler Johnson expiring off their books. Tell them with a bigger trade, this is probably the time to do it. So stay tuned to Locked On Suns as always. But Brent, anything else you want to ask Jerry before we end today's episode? No, appreciate you coming on on short notice here, Gerald. Lots to talk about in Suns land right now. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. All righty, guys. That's today's episode here of Locked on Suns. Appreciate you listening. And as always, we have to you guys tomorrow for next episode.